So I'm just going to uh, go through a couple of things on this slide to situate this. So um, that is the logo for the University of Toronto. And as Diane said, I'm a professor in the Department of Physical Therapy and the Graduate Department of Rehab Science. My research unit is called ACRU, the Arthritis Community Research and Evaluation Unit. And we're lo located in one of the large hospitals um, in Toronto. And my colleague, David Ryan, is um, the Vice President of Education for the Regional Geriatric Programs of Ontario. And so how this all started is he and I have been studying healthcare teams forever. Um, and he, this was just before my last sabbatical. He had called me and said, I, you know, I got all, I, I got all this money from the, the ministry and they want us to develop interprofessional teamwork in a new um, primary care model that, they, that had been developed called um, family health teams. And he said, and the way we're going to sell these people to come to these team and do the team development, because if we just asked them to come and do team development, we didn't think they'd even show up, quite frankly. So the, the carrot was uh, the geriatrics piece and teaching them about care of the elderly, which you cannot teach effectively without talking about teamwork. So it was a really nice fit. So that was this project, which we called G2C, the Geriatrics Interprofessional Interorganizational Collaboration Project. So I'm gonna be telling you about how as part of that project, we used social network analysis as part of what we called the edumetric process in interprofessional teamwork and interagency collaboration. So that just gives you a little bit the background. So what this was, was a knowledge to practice initiative. Um, ironically, and we can talk about this later, if I had submitted this as a research project, this project, we had a budget in a year of 2.5 million. In my wildest dreams, would I ever get that kind of funding from our national research body? So it was primarily a knowledge to practice initiative and the research we did was part of the evaluation of the project. But the irony is I could never have done it in another context. So our focus was improved shared healthcare for seniors and especially frail seniors within primary care settings in Ontario. And what we were hoping to do was develop an intersectoral and province-wide health services workforce within family health teams and community health centers which is uh, another version in primary care, sort of the older sibling, and the family health teams are the new kids on the block. But we decided it was kind of ridiculous to just focus on family health teams when these community health centers have been doing this for 20 years and have been doing some quite amazing things. So we thought it would be a good thing to bring the two together. And we were looking at the three competencies in geriatrics, interprofessional teamwork, and interagency collaboration. So what we did was we did um, uh, a blend of knowledge to practice strategies. The first part was, oh, I forgot to bring my slide of Ontario. I usually remember to do that. So picture this. All right, so I was telling my students this week, my mother and I live 1,200 miles apart, and we both live in central Canada. So I'm trying to <laughs> place place the prospect, so, and Ontario is the largest province in Canada. And if I left um, my home to drive to my mother's place, it would take me 24 hours, and 20 of those hours I would be driving through Ontario. So it's a very, very large province. So we uh, organized to do uh, two-day training sessions in six, six or seven um, major centers in Ontario and their surrounding catchment areas. And so um, that was sort of the, the, like I said, the carrot uh, to bring them into the project. And during those two days, we spent a lot of time doing um, uh, a little bit of lecturing, not much, a lot of knowledge cafes, exchanging information about different issues and um, um, in terms of care of the elderly. And then we had some follow-up training days. 
and there were structured knowledge to practice tools that were supported by the GTC consultants. What I'm going to talk about, so that's just the broader context of which this uh, project took place, the edumetric activities that we did. And what do we mean by edumetrics? Well, I think David, my colleague, coined this term. I'm not quite sure where he came from originally, but he uses it. And so what he uses it to describe is the process of providing the results of surveys or measures to the users in a manner that helps them to learn the concepts underlying the survey. And so measurement becomes more explicitly measurement and education. And so what we were going to do, and uh, which is what I'm going to be describing, is what we told the participants once they attended. So I'll be going through the um, responses and how many attended and whatever, but just to give you a, a quick overview. So there were about 200 of these family teams, health teams and CHCs in the province, and 80% of them sent at least one representative to one of our workshops. And then once they were at the workshop, and we talked about interprofessional teamwork, and we told them that they had the opportunity, if they wanted, for us to do uh, team diagnostics on their primary healthcare team, in which we would do an analysis of their team and send them the results back. So what we were hoping at the end of this process was that they would have an increased knowledge as how to use team measures in a reflective manner and how to implement these procedures into routine maintenance of teamwork and to demonstrate the ability to make use of the network analytic diagrams and the identification of opportunities for network building and support. I've mentioned this already, the three broad competencies for geriatric care. And so I may be preaching to the converted, but um, as we always say, those of us who do research in healthcare teamwork, there are teams and there are teams and there are teams. And just putting a group of people together and dubbing them, I dub thee a team, does not mean they are functioning in any kind of effective uh, manner. So that's what we were getting at. And sim similarly with organizations. So I think I've covered most of that already. So again, Conceptualizing teams as social networks um, was something that I first, <coughs> first got my head around when I was doing my doctoral work a million years ago. Um, and a lot of the research that had been done at that time around teams was very much from a psychological perspective. And I'm a sociologist. So psychologists looking at you know, the, the characteristics of individual team members, and the development of teams in terms of, um, you know, the norming, forming, storming, you know, all that kind of stuff. But nobody had really looked at the patterns of relationships that were going on in teams. And that was the first time I used social network analysis because I went back to graduate school after 15 years working clinically. And I worked clinically as a physical therapist in geriatrics. And I had worked with some really, really terrific teams. And I'd worked with some really, really lousy teams. And I wanted to understand that. But what I, the other thing about the research at that time was it mainly focused on team meetings, sort of that one hour a week where the team all sits down together and exchanges. And sometimes if you're a really lousy team, all you do is exchange the air in the room. It doesn't necessarily mean that anything's going in with the other people. And I knew from having worked so many in years in, in healthcare was that even lousy teams have team meetings. And yes, there are some dynamics in team meetings, but to me, to really understand whether there's actually teamwork going on, you want to know what's going on in the other six days and 23 hours of the week. And that was what I wanted to do. However, also being a very practical physiotherapist, we're very goal-directed people, if you've ever worked with any of us, I wanted to complete my doctorate before I qualified for admission to the long-term care institute that I was studying. And so I was trying to think, how am I gonna look at the interrelationships with these people? I was thinking participant observation, and my life was stretching out ahead of me as I thought of all of the hours and months I was gonna have to spend doing that. And then, 
luckily for me, we have some experts in um, Toronto who are sort of well-known in the field of uh, social network analysis. And I was lucky enough to take some courses from them. I think one of those four o'clock in the morning things. Wait a minute. Use social network analysis and block modeling, and that would help me look at these patterns of relationships. So that's where I came from with it. So, using that perspective, I saw teams as social networks because the social world is made up of numerous social networks family, friends, work partners, acquaintances, and organizations. And as I've said before, bringing a group of professionals to work together creates a work group or social network but how the group actually interacts determines the nature of the teamwork. You know this already, I'll skip over most of this fairly quickly, but basically we know that social network analysis derived from sociology and involves the mapping and measuring of relationships or ties between individuals, organizations, or teams, and those are the nodes. And mainstream social network analysis emerged in the 1960s building on earlier work in sociometrics and graph theory. So this is some of the ways that I've used social network analysis previously to look at healthcare teamwork. Um, I have done research on multidisciplinary long-term care teams, that was my doctoral work. I've also used social network analysis to look at home care teams, so community-based services for the elderly. And then finally, uh, my colleague David and I and Duncan Robertson um, wrote a think piece. It wasn't data-driven, it was a think piece. Um, looking at not within team relationships, but between team relationships. And the notion that um, it's not, it, yes, you have teams, but then you might have, the older person might come into acute care through the eMERGE, and then they might end up in general medicine ward, then they may or may not end up in rehab, they may or may not end up in a day hospital, and back in the community and all of those teams interacting with each other. And we set out, David was very optimistic that we were gonna be able to look at that in this study as well. And it was a complete and total disaster and we can talk about why that was because sometimes that's interesting too, what works and what doesn't. So the first, so the next question we had to ask ourselves was, okay, what types of ties are we gonna look at? So if we're gonna have this, these primary care teams, what kinds of ties will be the important ones? And also, for those of you who've done it, you know, we, we all have, like I think from my doctorate, I had nine different types of ties, which ends up with a very um, awe-inspiring questionnaire that would probably turn most people off. So we knew we had to be, you know, very careful in the number of types of ties we picked. So when I looked at the range of types of ties in long-term care teams, I found things, so these are people who are actually working on the same unit together with the same group of patients in the same physical space. And so the types of ties that defined teamwork for me there were things like sharing information with each other, problem solving together, planning their work together, and actually doing their work together. And those are the types of ties I looked at in the long-term care teams. With the home care teams, what was really interesting, and I think we can discuss that later if you want, but the, the model of delivering, we had considerable uh, home care reform in Ontario, and the Liberal government came in and had this plan, and the NDP government came in and they had this plan, and the, the government that was in power when we finally got the reform was the Conservatives, and they brought in managed competition. And so managed competition means that in each of these home care teams, um, each of these um, uh, home care settings, the previously the, the services had been um, within house. They divested all of their services and then there was an open competition for people to apply for the contract to provide the physiotherapy, for people to um, compete to provide the nursing services which if one thinks how that might help with teamwork, you realize not very well. And so what I found was in home care teams, the types of ties that we saw, so these are not people working in the same, you know, geographic hospital unit or whatever, they're working in somebody's home. And the most common types, so the types of ties we were signed were direct personal, so directly speaking to the person. Um, 
uh, either uh, by phone or face-to-face. -face. Direct impersonal, which we called, um, like if you left a note or a message for them. Indirect, you went through somebody else to get through to that person, and none whatsoever. And what do you think was the most common type of tie that these home care teams had with each other? None whatsoever. That was the most common type of tie. And if they, they were discouraged from um, working together, and they were really discouraged from meeting in the patient's home, because that would be double dipping, um, it, was, it was really quite fast. Anyway, that's another whole talk in and of itself. But it, yes? Mm -hmm. but why would you call it a crime if there's no communication whatsoever? That's what I mean. Is it, that, that it, it's, it isn't a tie, but that's the point. And maybe it, that's the point I'm trying to make, is we were looking at what their linkages were with each other, and absolutely none was the most common type of linkage. must be too far from the machine or something. There we go. So as I said, the study population was these primary health care providers or regulated health professions that were nominated by their family health team or CHC to attend the G2C workshops. Sorry, I will get to a minute what ties I ended up choosing uh, for this study. And during each workshop, we introduced the research to the pa participants and they were invited to enroll their teams in the project. And if they chose to do that, we asked them when they went back to their work site to submit us a list of the team, pro the team profile lists. Because there was only one person from the team, so we needed to find out who else was on the team. This, this is, so this is getting really nitty method stuff, but you may find it interesting. So the we asked them to complete a, a team profile form that included general information about the team, where it was located, the types of patients that they saw, the percentage of the people they saw that were um, over 65, those kinds of questions. And then the initials and the roles of all the members of the team. And so once we received that team profile form, so this, we were separate, we were the research group, were separate from the regional geriatric program. Um, we prepared individualized questionnaires for each team that listed all of the members of the team. And then how many of you have actually collected your own data in social network, doing social network analysis? So do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a questionnaire that's collecting types of ties? Right, so you know that it has to be individualized to whatever work group you're looking at or whatever organization. And then it's, yes. I'm going to get to that into a minute. So what we, so, but the first thing we had to do, the first step was to determine the boundaries of the team and, and what was the scope of the team. And that was actually a very fascinating part of the study because a lot of them looked at us like we were, <laughs> like, they didn't know who their team was. They were on something called a family health team and they didn't know who their family health team were. And we spent a lot of time talking to them on the phone. Well, who should they include and who shouldn't they include? What were the scope? And we made a decision that we would include administrative staff, so receptionists and, and administrators, and not just focus on the um, actual care delivery staff. I'll get to the response rates in a minute, if you don't mind. Um, and so once we had that list, then we mailed out these individualized. So the other thing with the questionnaire has to be, if I'm going to send one out to you and to you, I have to know for sure that the one you send back who are in order to do the analysis. So otherwise, you, you can't do the analysis. So I ran into this problem previously, and it's, again, just a word of warning or a piece of advice. Make sure that the participants understand the difference between anonymous and confidential because it's not anonymous. I cannot do the analysis without knowing who filled this questionnaire in. And so I just, it, in my early days doing this, I had one group of nurses 
who didn't understand that, and when they sat down to fill it in, they realized that each of them had a different number on their questionnaire, and they got quite irate and refused to fill it in. I felt terrible about that. But that's why, and just a little word to the wise, be always careful with that when you do it. And then they returned it directly to us. So we mailed it out to the individuals, and then they mailed it directly to us. So that nobody at the, so nobody in their family health team would have known who actually participated and who didn't. Um, so the first uh, section was just the demographic information about how long they'd been on the team, their age, their gender, their experience in geriatrics, those kinds of questions. The second part was a, um, just a typical uh, questionnaire, uh, not social network analysis, but my colleague David has developed a Dimensions of Teamwork survey that's comprised of 56 statements and they asked general questions about the team rather than individual team members or disciplines. And so what we asked people to do is to think about each statement as it relates to their team and circle the response that closest, is closest to how each statement applies to your team. So for example, just a few examples of the items here, we regularly examine a client's, our client's satisfaction with our work. People on this team share their knowledge and skills easily. So there's 56 of these items. And then the next part of the questionnaire was the social network piece. So this is how, so what we did is down the left-hand side here was listed all of the people who were on the team by their initials. Um, no, actually I'm, we didn't, I was very, 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 very cautious about the um, confidentiality of responses. And my worst nightmare was that somehow somebody would be able to pick it up. I don't know what the name, what's the Irish Times seems to be a newspaper here. And somebody told me one time, if you're trying to decide whether or not to do something, think about how it would look like on the front page of the Irish Times. And that always helps me in terms of making my decisions. So my worst nightmare was that somehow this would get out and people would say the North Bay team, you know, and does such and such. So I always had that in mind. And then we asked, oops, sorry, wrong button. So then, so for Dr. IJ, have you had contact with this person in the past month? If no, we just ask them to keep going to the next person who's down here. Um, if yes, then we ask, have you received clients from that person? So, and have you referred clients to that person? And have you exchanged information with that person? So since you know something about social network analysis, what do you think about those ties? What do you think I was trying to measure? And what are some of the problems with what I did? Any thoughts? Yes? Yes, I mean, that, well, I tried to. So what I tried to do, so that's one of the problems with social network analysis, is it measures if the tie is present or not. You have no idea the quality of the tie, whether the tie is meaningful, it's just, is it there or not? So we, pardon me? No, I don't think I can measure trust with this. I'm trying to highlight one. What I was basically trying to do here is these are supposed, we're moving from sole practice. So the normal way primary care is delivered in Ontario is you've got the GP and they might have a nurse who works for them, but basically it's just a GP and there's nobody else involved. Uh, so very unidisciplinary kind of um, delivery of services. These family health teams, the whole purpose of them was to expand it. And so they were able to hire. So in these family health teams, the doctors could sign up to be part of it. And they also had social workers, they had nurses, they had nurse practitioners, they had pharmacists, they had psychologists. So what I was trying to get at with these two was looking at the patterns of referral within the team. And so my hypothesis, and I just am basing that not on the literature or what, but just my sort of like, so what would 
a team look like that was more interprofessional than another. And I expected then there to be a, a greater rate of, of inter, uh, referrals within the team and not just the doctor sees everybody and then refers them out, but there may be some cross um, um, referrals. And then the last one was exchanging information with, and in that one, I was trying to get at just general communication. So not the specific referring somebody to somebody else, but just exchanging information. So, um, Again, and this is the one of the trade-offs you have to do when you're collecting your own social network data is you've got a ton of ties you want to look at, but nobody's gonna fill the questionnaire out if you make it too long, and so really deciding. So the problem with this one is you don't know which direction the information is going in. You're hoping by exchange that you're assuming the information is going back and forth, but that's, that's a presumption. So that's one of the challenges. And then in order to try and differentiate just whether the tie is there or not, we looked at how frequently. We asked them to say whether they'd had the tie and whether it was once a month, two to three times a month, once a week, several times a week, or daily, as just a way to try and get some intensity uh, around the tie. Okay, so this is gonna get back to your, yes. Mm -hmm. Wait till we look at the results. And then hopefully that'll help. <laughs> but it's a different type of exchange. I mean, you can, a referral is a very, very specific type of exchange on a team. I send a patient to you. But to me, that doesn't capture teamwork. Teamwork, I would also be looking at, they were talking to each other and hopefully problem solving together and decision making together. But I couldn't ask all of those ties. So I, yeah, so this is the trade-off that I made. But when we look at the maps, hopefully, when we look at some of this, that hopefully that will answer that question for you, or, or not. So in terms of the data analysis, um, this is where I struggled with this, uh, how many? Because you know, you send it out, and not everybody sends it back. So what we decided that for the traditional questionnaire, the dimensions of teamwork piece, that was David's, that 35% response rate is considered respectable for that kind of thing. So if we got 35% back from the team, we would report back to them on those results. I was very uncomfortable doing the social network analysis with those few numbers. And so I insisted that I would not provide them with the social network analysis unless I had at least a 60% response rate. And I also, the other thing that sometimes influenced me is if there was one category of respondents that did not respond at all, then I probably wouldn't have sent it back. So the, the beauty of social network analysis is that you don't have to have a 100% response rate. You can have less than that because each person is giving you information about each of the other people on the team. Um, but again, I was not comfortable unless I had a is that what you were asking me before? Is that sort of the question you were getting at? Yeah, and, and that was just, I don't have anything to back that up, it's just my sense um, as I went through all of these. Mm -hmm. I think we did. Yes, I think we did. But we're talking about 90 teams. I'm going to get to it. So yes, and and so these are, these are. So I'm 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 teaching you some. I'm <laughs> teaching you. I'm sharing with you some of the travails of trying to do this research, and some of the things you run into. So there was response rate. So those people who weren't sure about their team and who to include, they usually called us. Then they knew us. They'd met us for two days on the workshop and they were comfortable talking to us. And so we were able to discuss that. Um, but I'm sure with some of the ones, that may be why we didn't get the response rate. But I'm going to talk later about some of the problems with the data collection. Yeah, 
No, I don't think I. No, I don't think that was the situation. No, no. Um, I think the pro that the problem that we had, if I remember correctly, the one thing that we didn't get consistently was the inclusion of the administrative staff. That would be the one group I would say we missed on some of the teams. It was quite interesting, though. The exchange information, because actually, and, and the reason we wanted to include the in, is actually in some teams, it's the administrative staff that are the most central, because everybody goes through them. But the problem we ran into with that was that, so if you're the administrative staff and you're working with a physician and the physician sends a referral through you to somebody else, does that mean you refer to them? So that was a problem with that question. Okay, so for each of the teams that participated, um, they were sent, so if they got the full, if, they, if we had a large enough response rate to do the full analysis, they received a graph and a description of the key items from the Dimensions of Teamwork questionnaire. They received a summary of the four network constructs plus two sociograms, I'll get into that in a minute. I ended up not being able to do three, it, it was meaningless trying to, so if I were going to do it again, the tie I would leave out would be, I ended up having to put these two together. It was meaningless to have them as two separate units, um, just the way it was filled in. So when I did the analysis, I, I merged those two together and that helped with some of the missing data with people who hadn't filled it out, which you'll be terribly surprised to fill in where they'd find out was a lot of the physicians didn't fill it out. Um, and then we had some reflective questions at the end designed to facilitate team discussion of the results. So we made this anonymized report, we sent it back to the team, and what we were hoping they would do with it was to share it with their other team members and sit down and have a meeting and sort of discuss it and talk about it and how, how are we gonna move forward. That was the plan. So this is the, um, an example of something they might have got for the dimensions of teamwork. So the three, the sub uh, areas, we may not be able to see from back there, customer and inter-team issues, team member strengths and skills, communication and conflict management, roles and interdependence, clarity of team goals, leaderships and decisions, and perceived organizational support. And then David, who has used this very extensively in actually doing team development workshops with teams, um, sort of summarized what he was saying in the data. So this is just an example of one of them. He said, you know, this team has strengths in several important areas. At the same time, there are several opportunities for improvement. So we also, so writing these, writing these things up was very challenging, trying to be diplomatic. Um, and so when some of them were, you know, we, we read the dimensions of teamwork results and our eyes were sticking out of our head, then David would just politely say, you might want to consider having an external team developer come in and work with your group. Um, uh, so that, that was a challenge in terms of just how much information to give people. Yeah, like I don't, I, I don't have this slide that shows this, but I can show people. So what we were able to do is we were able to put here what the mean was from a selection of teams so that they could see if their team was above the mean or below the mean. Um, I, I have, if anybody's interested, I can, quite happy to share. Um, I think I've already sent, did I send it to you guys already? Yeah. A sample of one of the network reports, one of the reports we sent out. Um, so yeah, we tried to show if their team was like way above the average or below. No, I don't, re I don't remember that, unless David, David might have put that in. 
and, and he would have, again, tried to couch it in fairly polite terms. That, and those were probably situations where he, like the ones that gave us red flags, like, oh my God, this team is really in trouble, would be something like that. And he might, you know, politely say, you know, you know might want to consider bringing in a facilitator. Um, these are not things that you can probably handle on your own. So in terms of the four social network analysis constructs to report back to them, the ones that I thought were the simplest and easiest for people who aren't familiar with social network analysis to understand would be network density, you know, how tightly interrelated are people. The centralization, as you talked about, are there people who are really central in the team? Uh, the strength of ties in terms of the ones, you know, how often, uh, which we operationalize by the frequency. And you can argue with me about the value of using frequency, but that was the one we chose. And then the reciprocity, how much back and forth is there? And it's particular, so anyway, so hopefully some of these results. So you know this already, but I'll just quickly go over it. So the network density is the number of connections between network members compared to the maximum possible number of connections. And so my hypothesis would be that a highly functioning interprofessional team would have a high network density with team members highly interconnected with each other. However, I don't believe, I, I, don't, I think it's a curvilinear relationship. I don't necessarily believe that the most interprofessional team will have 100% interconnections. I, I think they, it's not necessary or efficient to have that level. But this is just based on, sorry, no theory there. Well, there's theory there, but uh, anyway, so here's an example of 100% density. Everybody's linked to everybody else. And the way we did the ties, because it was too expensive to print it off in color, quite frankly, uh, we printed it off with uh, the heavier lines being um, three times a week or more and the lighter lines would be less, less frequent. So we, we did have a five, we did collect it on a five point scale in terms of frequency, but we reported it we, we, um, just as high intensity or low intensity. And here's one with, so if we go back to this one, they're all interconnected, some more strongly than others. And interestingly, again, that, you know, the RN is quite central in this particular team. And then this was a team with very low density, with very little interaction going on between the others. And in this one, we got an MD right in the middle. And then we got some people over here that have very, very little to do with the team. So that's just an example of how we illustrated density to them. They have all been identified as being part of the team. What we found, and I'll get to this in a minute, what we found most consistently, the social workers were the ones that were often on the outside of the team. And, and so what we found, social work is completely, a lot of these GPs have been practicing for 30 years in the community. You give them a social worker, they have no idea what to do with the social worker. They have no understanding of what the social worker can do and accomplish. And so that, that was some of the things that, that we found. And here we have um, the executive director is sort of off. Tried, I'm, I'm, and I hope we can collaborate on this and you can ask these kinds of questions. We have 46 teams. That's a pretty small sample size. I mean, on the one hand, but we have 46 teams, my God. But on the other hand, when you start trying to do any kind of statistical, it's only 46. It's really hard to pick up. It didn't spring out at us, no. The network centrality, 
but then you would say, but, but then that was where theoretically that a bigger team to me doesn't need such high density. Yeah, so. Um, and then network centrality, as you all know, is the extent to which the network is centralized around one or a few actors. And are there members of the network who are more highly interconnected or less interconnected than others? And so this was my, you know, this is what we were thinking, that organizations with highly centralized networks, we would suspect would be more hierarchical or mechanistic in their functioning, whereas organizations with multiple centers would be more organic. Organic. Mm -hmm. One more question about the statistics you showed uh, about the networks, because you said in final analysis you left out directional information. Is there still networks? So, uh, well, no, we could do no because we I combined refer to and receive from. I put them together. Uh, then okay. I did have I did have both directions. Yeah. It is this most wonderful program. <laughs> there is a wonderful program. There's, I'm sure there's more, but the one I use is UCINet. And the beauty of it is you just enter the data, the, whether the tie is present or absent, and I can show you if you want, and after, maybe it's towards the end, I'll show you how you actually do that. It, it's so easy. And then you just click a button, and it's a miracle. It presents it. Now, that sounds overly simplistic. You can, you can add some factors into the UCI net in terms of how you want things weighted or how you want, but no, the, the program does it for you. <laughs> Believe me, if I can use it, anybody can. I am techno. I don't say that I'm technophobic. I say I'm techno can't be bothered, techno could care less. So uh, I don't know, so I was thrilled with this. Then the other thing we were interested in when we were looking at centrality is the issue of structural holes. So where you have an individual that bridges discrete groups. And these people are very powerful, obviously, and really crucial. So if you have somebody who's in this position and they're a lousy communicator and they're not very good at their job, that can really have problems for the team. So it can be beneficial uh, to the person that gives them a lot of social capital and it's also beneficial to the group. So, here's one. And um, so it's kind of, actually I think of the next slide. It's kind of glaringly obvious what's going on in this one. So we have two groups that are supposed to be the same team but actually um, are linked. And this is, see who's linking them? The receptionist. The receptionist is one of the people that's filling the structural hole and one of the nurse practitioners. Um, and I apologize, it's been such a while since I've looked at some of these data, I can't remember a lot of the details. Um, and I apologize for that, but you can see quite clearly. We had other examples where teams were working. They were called a family health team, but they actually had two different settings. And some of them had multiple settings. And it was really fascinating how that came out in the, um, in the social network diagrams. So I can't remember this one, but it could have been they were in separate locations. But I'm sorry, I, I, I can't remember the specifics for that one. Okay, um, yeah. Well, and, well, and to me, that would be something that I would think, so is it appropriate that everybody's interacting with everybody else on the other team? And my answer would be no, that seems highly inefficient. And so you would want to look and see that there are key people that, people that are sort of providing that boundary spanning function. Um, um, and so that would be something we would have commented on here, that these two people are you know, functioning to 
join these two sub-teams or sub-units within the group. Um, because of the way we did the study, it was up to the people to tell us who they, who they wanted to include in the team. And we had the biggest one that we looked at was from one, so they ranged in size from four people to the largest one we looked at, there were 80 people that were supposedly part of this team. So in one, and this is where the word team, I usually when I do analyses, I don't use the word team at all. Because as soon as you call something a team, you have implicit assumptions about what's going on. And that can really lead you down the wrong path. So, but they were adamant, and they were in separate sites, but they were adamant, and they're actually, it was wonderful. They're, they're, one of their physicians was really, really keen to get this report and use it. So, I mean, there were more customers at that point than research subjects. You know, the way the study was, we were able to do this project. And so what happened on that team that was kind of interesting is they were very separate, and we were able to illustrate that with the social network diagram. So what we did is we actually gave them three reports. We gave them one report that looked at all 80 of them together, and then we gave them one report that looked at each sub-team separately, because the sub-teams were very different in terms of their dimensions of, of teamwork. And so one group was much more interprofessional than the other. So it was sort of like, oh, you guys have a problem, don't you? <laughs> this is why you're so keen to get this information back from us. Um, and this one is not so centralized, so you can sort of see, um, uh, it's, it's not so obvious that there's, uh, <coughs> that there's two separate teams. Case manager? So sometimes they have a position called a case manager who sort of is supposed to have a coordinating function. But again, the interesting thing with this one, if you look at it, the MDs are mostly around the outside with those social workers and chiropractors. And in the middle are the administrative people and the manager. You know, so they're really crucial to the functioning, even though they're not directly involved in patient care per se those people are really crucial to team functioning or the effectiveness of the group. Again, strength of ties, you know about this combination. So it can be a combination of the amount of time, the emotional intensity, the intimacy, the reciprocity and the reciprocal services. And as I said, we operationalize it as frequency. You pays your money, you takes your chances. So, um, Strong ties are valuable because the trust that exchange partners, it tr you trust that exchange partners will not act at self-interest at expense of others, and strong ties create ideal conditions for knowledge diffusion, collaborative problem solving, a climate of informal governance, and optimization of member contributions. Whereas, but there's also good things about weak ties. So, networks based on weak ties, distant and infrequent relationships, are more efficient at sharing knowledge as they provide access to novel information from otherwise disconnected parties. So less dense work networks might actually reduce the redundancy of information and resources and increase the diversity of resources. So, you know, it's good. You don't, so to me, I really like strong ties, densely interconnected network is at risk of groupthink. Whereas a more diffuse with linkages to other um, areas is more likely to be open to new information. And that's the theory anyway. And so, as I said, it was weak interactions that are infrequent once per week or less to strong at least several times per week. So here's an example of, um, most of them are fairly strongly interconnected. Um, and here's one that's with very little strength of ties, much less densely, uh, much fewer strong ties between the, between the, the, the um, network members. And then finally, uh, the reciprocity that we looked at was the extent to which relationships are two-way. So are they ties symmetrical? Are they reciprocated? Or are they asymmetric? And so we expected that in a well-functioning interprofessional team, the ties would be symmetrical. 
that the participants would be referring with e to each other and they would be exchanging information. Whereas asymmetrical ties would suggest hierarchy that everything's just going in one direction. David picks that up with his um, um, network uh, dimensions of teamwork survey. He would pick it up from those data. I wouldn't necessarily pick it up from these data. Um, the issue with this particular group of teams is they were all fairly new as well, because family health teams were like a fairly new phenomenon when we started them. So I'm not sure how quickly a team would get into groupthink, you know. So I don't, I don't remember, I'm sorry. We did so many reports, I don't remember. Um, but that is certainly something that David has picked up with his Dimensions of Teamwork survey, where you have a team that just loves working together and they just have a great time at work and they're totally non-productive. So there's, there's a balance there. So in this one, the red ties are reciprocal and the blue are non-symmetrical. So you can see there's quite a bit of reciprocity um, on that particular team. And here's an asymmetric example where everything's going in one direction, usually between the M from the MDs to everybody else or between the MDs and uh, not too much. So the people that you would refer to would be, would be coming from the MDs and probably the nurse practitioners. So we do have in Ontario that nurse practitioners are able to function as autonomous professionals. They don't have to function under the supervision of a physician. And in fact, some of the family health teams we looked at did not have any physicians. They were nurse practitioner run. So I just didn't give you that piece of information. Yes, yes. <laughs> you look puzzled, but not ready to ask a question yet. <laughs> so what, what, what we're looking at is to what, so to what extent are they referring back and forth to each other? Okay, which is to me an important work of teamwork. So if you're working with an older person that has uh, multiple comorbidities, um, social problems, psychological issues, and health issues, there's no one professional who can deal with all of those things, which is why I love geriatrics, because geriatricians appreciate that. And so I would expect when you're in an interprofessional team, that say the patient comes into the MD, and the MD, uh, so that might be one entree into the, into the group, and the MD says, well, oh, this person really needs to see the social worker because there's something going on here that, that only the social worker can, can spot. And then when it gets to the social worker, the social worker might delve a little bit further and say, well, the problem here is this person really is having trouble and maybe the OT should see them, so would refer. So that's sort of why I think it's important for teamwork and that's why I looked at it in this, because I would think, so to my mind, a more, this to my mind is a picture of a more interprofessional team. They are exchanging things back and forth between each other and referring back and forth. Because it's not always that the person that has the same entree point into the team. Whereas in this one, they mainly are just in one direction. So there's no back and forth referrals. And then what we hoped <laughs> was when they, when they got these reports back, that they would use them to engage the team in a process of reflection and develop a set of actions or goals to address the issues raised. And we were available to provide support to them for that. We had what who we called the G2C consultants so each of those seven areas that I was describing to you had at least one uh, G2C consultant who was available to them or by phone or who could come out and work with them. So it's not like it was like, here's the information, you know, have a nice life, do what you can do with it. We did try to provide some support for that. And then we were hoping they would submit a reflective exercise report. We got one back. Um, 
And so, like I said, they, so they had coaching, mentoring, or advice available from the G2C consultants, and they could have face-to-face -face telephone, email, or web-mediated um, approaches. So this is just, again, it's probably too small to see for some of it, but these are the sites where we conducted the, um, the study. And so some of them, like um, Ottawa, uh, Toronto, are quite, and Hamilton are quite large urban areas, whereas um, uh, Thunder Bay and North Bay are way in the north and um, are not, uh, I don't know if you've heard the joke, but most of the Canadian population, we have this huge country. I wish I'd remembered to bring that slide. So we have this huge country, and there's an American comedian I heard make the comment one time, well, we could invade Canada. They wouldn't even notice because they don't use most of it. And it's true. 80% of Canadians live within 50 miles of the US border. So we're all down here, right? So we obviously have issues the further north you go in terms of, of some of those. So actually, so one of the issues in these places is um, recruitment and retention. And those were the places we found the nurse practitioner led. Because uh, getting physicians, that's another whole story. Anyway, so just to show you the numbers. So in total, we had 91 teams. 91 teams out of the 180 that said, yeah, we'd like to do this. Uh, three of them withdrew. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why that happened in a minute. So of those 91, 42 we had sufficient response rate to do the full report and send them back the social network analysis and the dimensions of teamwork. Eight, 18, they only had enough response for us to send the um, dimensions of teamwork results. And 28 got what we called a sorry letter. Like, you know, thank you for, you know, but unfortunately we didn't receive enough responses to be able to do the analysis. So we sent out in total 1,600, over 1,600 surveys, and we got 800 returned. Um, so 82% of the possible teams in the province attended the workshop, half of them enrolled in the team profile. And 70% um, received at least a partial report. So not too bad. Um, but still doesn't leave us with a huge sample size. think that way, but actually what I found in the research I've done on this, and I've also done a lot of research on physiotherapy and primary, and primary health care, and the more rural teams, by the fact that they have to, are already doing this stuff, because they have to. So we found that actually the ones, the more rural and remote ones, were much more likely to be collaborating and developing partnerships together. Whereas, I'll give you an example. So this other study I did where I was looking at uh, physiotherapy and primary health care. And I went to one of the family health teams, which is right in the center of Toronto, and right across the street from a uh, Toronto hospital. And upstairs was a physiotherapy clinic. And within two blocks, there were physiotherapy clinics. And they wanted their own physiotherapist. And I said, well, have you ever thought maybe of partnering with the people upstairs? <laughs> because, you know, you need a lot of space for a physio clinic and all this kind of, and that's another piece of research I did where we sort of looked at the pros and cons of having an embedded physio on a team. But, but one of the things that came very strongly from that is, no, the ones in the rural areas are actually doing this because they have to. Yeah. 
definitely. I mean, it wasn't what we expected to find, but we definitely got what we did find. So why did we have non-participation? So, of course, nobody's going to be surprised. They had difficulty getting team buy-in, particularly from the MDs and the administrators. And even though the administrators, the initial invitation to participate in the whole project went to the administrators, some of them still balked at taking the next step. So this one said, our executive director tried to fill it in, and he said, oh, this doesn't pertain to me. It's all about clinical stuff. But it's not. It's about how you interact with different members of the team. So that was his take on it. And I think with that kind of tone set, everybody else decided to same, just take the same tack. And certainly when we uh, had a lot of discussions around team and teamwork in the two-day workshops, that came across loud and clear from participants is that it wasn't necessarily, the, like yes, the MDs could be a stumbling block, but the administrators um, really held the power on these teams. And even getting permission to do the research and send out the questionnaires, we had to tread very carefully um, and make sure we included the administrators. Um, then the competing priorities. The family health teams are a brand new innovation. Everybody wants to study them. So they were getting double, she said, so they were getting double surveyed by diabetes and then the Lynn is constantly sending us surveys. So not necessarily about interprofessional collaboration but about e-health use. I think they just sort of felt inundated by surveys. And in fact, there was another, there was another program out in the field at the same time as us, also funded by the Ministry of Health that was also looking at team functioning. And we tried to collaborate with them but it just, the competing, anyway. So, so this was some positive stuff we got back. I was really interested to fill in the survey you sent us. I found it very interesting because really, sorry, let me explain. So at the follow-up meetings, so they had their initial two-day workshops. Then about six to ten months later, depending on when their workshop was held, we had a follow-up day where we brought all of them into Toronto to have a, a large uh, conference. And at that, I did focus groups with them. So that's where some of these data came from. Um, I found it very interesting because really it helped me realize what, I, what was the connection I had inside my workplace and who I am related to and who I'm not. So that was a good exercise, really, really good. And a lot of people said that, just filling in the questionnaire and filling out the social network really opened their eyes as to their team performance. Uh, we did as a very small group, I think there's 10 of us including the receptionists, so we did do the survey and that was useful in our team building journey together. We found the feedback to be kind of consistent, no surprises, and it fed back to us that we sounded like a newly developing team, which we are. It was useful and it prompted some discussion, so that was useful. So in summary, some of our key findings, so one of the key findings was helping them to answer the question, who is the team? We didn't anticipate that. And the ones we had submitted ranged in size from four to 84. So that also limited some of the analyses we did because it, it was too apples and orangey to put some of these really small, newly developing ones in with the others. So, so it wasn't even 42 that we were analyzing, it was more like 34, 35. And it included all of these range of professionals. Interestingly, and politically, interesting for me as a physical therapist, but there has been a policy decision in, so the Canadian healthcare system, this will really put you into coma, the Canadian healthcare system, for which we are vaunted and our wonderful healthcare system, you are universally covered for hospital services and physician services. So if you're inside a hospital, your physiotherapy is covered. The minute you walk out the door, it's a two-tiered system. And the provincial government made a decision, and there's a lot of politics around how they made this decision, that they were not gonna fund community rehabilitation, probably because it scares the heck out of them because how big it would be. Because they're discharging everybody back into the community and God forbid they actually provide them for some rehab while they're out there. Um, so at the time we did the studies, the family health teams were not allowed to hire a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist. And it, many of them had submitted work plans and budgets 
with a line item for physiotherapy, and it was cut out. So the key findings that teens are mainly MDs, nurse practitioners, RNs, social workers, dietitians, pharmacists, psychologists, receptionists, and medical secretaries. Um, they, they obviously all differed. I mean, we had to laugh because you know how it is when you meet with a group and they say, well, we're different from everybody else. You know, yeah, yeah, you're different. But actually they were, <laughs> they, they actually were. Uh, the common issues that, uh, issues that arose were lack of engagement of non-traditional medical staff, and especially the social workers. Um, and most of the teams were still functioning in a multidisciplinary rather than an interdisciplinary model. That could be the stage of development, it could be how new they were, we don't know. And there were few cross-referrals within many of the teams. Many of the teams, there still wasn't a lot of that interaction and cross-referral going on. And so we concluded that we think social network analysis is a useful tool. Nobody said to us, you sent us this map and we have no idea how to understand it or what's going on. Most people are visual and, and I think they were sufficiently simple that people could get their heads around it. Um, <laughs> famous last word, data collection from primary care teams takes much more time than anticipated. <laughs> yes, that should be in bold. <laughs> And administrators are key gatekeepers to doing research in, in primary healthcare teams. So what we said we're going to try and do was move from report production to analysis and analyze the relationships between the dimensions of teamwork scales and the social network variables. And we, that was disappointing when we did that because what happened is when we were actually trying to mass produce these reports, as you can imagine, there was a lot of data we were dealing with. And so David would take the dimensions of teamwork stuff and write his report on that. And I would take the social network stuff and write my report on that. And then he would send me his report and I would put them together. And we were seeing the same things. Different kinds of data, but we were seeing the same things. So we're really hopeful that we could do some, you know, correlations or relationships. Didn't work out. And quite frankly, we haven't... I said what we need to do is we need to sit down in a room together for a couple of days and just go through them and say, okay, why did you say they were less interprofessional and I said the same thing and, and some of them haven't done it. And then we did have another project after this where what a unique idea. We looked at incorporating families into family health teams and uh, we did complete that project as well but we didn't use uh, social network analysis for that. So, <laughs> that's a lot of information. I talked a lot longer than I anticipated, but hopefully I was able to answer some questions as we 